Well, hello, friends, and welcome to the Capital City Christian Church podcast. My name is Chris, and I'm so glad that you're tuning in with us. If this is your first time listening or you'd just like to reach out, feel free to shoot an email to hello at capitalcitychristian.org, and I'd be glad to talk with you. We've been working through this message series about making a Messiah, where we're looking at who Jesus was. Was he a magician, a great teacher, just a man, or was he really the Son of God? Today, we're talking about one of his greatest stories of power. We look at a time when Jesus showed his absolute power over death. What's strange is that we see how Jesus had incredible power, but he used it with maddening restraint. You see, Jesus didn't come to fix all of our problems, but he did give us a glimpse of what was coming. Here is our senior minister, Dr. Stephen Doc Pattison, talking about Jesus's power over death. Glad you guys are here. Last week was pretty rough, about 16 degrees, two or three inches of snow when we started services. Got all the way up to about 20 degrees when we let out at noon. We still had about 400 people show up, which is pretty cool. By the way, we have a snow policy here at Capital City. I thought I'd just reinforce what it is. Here's our snow policy. We don't cancel. We don't cancel worship. We think it's that important. If you can make it to work, you can make it to Kroger, you can make it to church. It's even more important. Now, you do need to use your judgment. If, if you don't think it's safe to get out, we understand, depending on where you live, what kind of car you drive, how prone you are to falling, you've got to use your own judgment. If you do stay home, we'd encourage you to check out our Facebook Live. We actually live stream both of our services. It's not as good as being here, but maybe it's the next best thing. Now, Bobby Scott sitting out over there. He was one of our elders, and sometimes Bobby is not a nice guy. (laughs) Bobby came up to me after the service was done last week, and he challenged me for not addressing one of the greatest theological questions in the story that we studied last week. You see, Jesus confronts a guy who is demon-possessed. Boatload of demons. They actually call him legion. When Jesus kicks them out of this guy, he gives these demons permission to enter into a herd of 2,000 pigs. Pigs are now tormented by demons. They run down this hill straight into a lake and they drown. Here's what Bobby threw at me last week. He said, 2,000 pigs. I don't know, maybe average 200, 250 pounds each, which means 20 to 25 pounds of bacon each, which means Jesus just sent 50,000 pounds of bacon to the bottom of a lake. Is it possible, is it possible that Jesus is condemning bacon and those of us who obsess over it? Bobby was making a very serious accusation. Here's my comeback. Maybe Jesus is just trying to teach us how valuable, how precious every single person is. I mean, delivering this poor demoniac is worth more than the most precious thing that you can imagine. It's even more than 50,000 pounds of bacon, okay? So what do you think? Is Jesus showing us how bad bacon is or how precious men are? If you agree with me, you can stay. Speaking of bacon, this morning I think God's going to be challenging those of us who have a weight problem. And if you guys have a weight problem, you don't have to raise your hands. It's been a struggle for me most of my life. Today we're going to be talking about some stuff that can help like me who struggle with it a lot. So here goes. Let me open up with a hypothetical. Here it is. Let's say I've got amazing power. I've got all this miraculous power and I don't use it often enough. Let's say I have the power to heal your cancer. And not just your cancer, I have the power to heal the cancer of every single person in this room. And I don't use it. 
Maybe I, maybe I heal one or two of you just to show you that I can, but I don't heal yours. Am I a good man? Well, let's say I have the power to heal your marriage. Your marriage is flat out broken. You're treating each other terribly. And I've got the power to fix you. I might have to rough you up a little bit, but you're going to like it when you're done. What if I have that power, incredible power, and I don't use it? Am I a good man? Well, let's say I have the power to fix the mess that you've made of your finances. Or maybe you didn't make the mess. Maybe you just, you're in a hole. I still have the power to fix it. Or let's say I've got the ability to straighten out your kids. Maybe your kids are drifting on a path that's just terrifying you. Maybe instead some jerk is just making their life hellish. And I can fix that. I've got that kind of power. And to prove it, I actually do it for one or two of you, but not for the rest of you. Am I a good man? In other words, was Jesus a good man? Now you've wondered that about him. You probably haven't phrased it the way that I have, but if Jesus really is all of that powerful, could he really be all that good? While I was walking on the earth here 2,000 years ago, he healed quite a few people. People who were blind, deaf, mutes, paralyzed, leprosy, but he didn't heal all of them. I mean, he healed everyone he touched, but Jesus didn't seem to go out of his way to find people who were sick so he could heal them. Was he good? And when he was here, he showed incredible power over nature. We actually saw how he hushed a storm just by telling it to hush. But we have no evidence that Jesus calmed every storm. We know he had the power to feed a whole crowd with a McDonald's Happy Meal. He did it twice. But when he did it, they were stunned. You know why? Because he didn't usually do it. Crowds would gather all the time. A lot of the people were poor. They were hungry. He didn't usually feed them. Was he good? When he was there, here on earth, he had the power to raise the dead. We know that because he did it more than once. But every time he raised somebody from the dead, he surprised them. You know what that means? It means he didn't ordinarily do it. He had that power. So why didn't Jesus stop death every time he had the chance? Why didn't he go out of his way to crush that thing that crushes us more than anything else? Was Jesus good? Now, you've asked Jesus to heal your disease. He's asked him to heal your kids, your friend. You've asked him to bring rain, to stop rain, to still a storm of some sort. You've asked him to provide for you when you didn't know where the next stuff was coming from. You've asked him to stand in death's way for someone you love. Maybe even you've asked him to snatch someone back that you love. You've asked him to heal a marriage, to redirect a prodigal, to smack down a bully. And sometimes you wonder, is he really there? If he is there, does he hear? If he does hear, does he care? If he does care, is he not all that powerful? If he is all that powerful, maybe he's not all that good. Or maybe something else is going on. It can be very confusing. Now, we're going to get back to that stuff. We're in a series that we're calling Making a Messiah. From January to Easter, we're going to kind of be laying out the evidences that Jesus really is the Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior, your Lord. And to make your decision about him an informed one, we're going to challenge you to think about who you listen to. You're going to listen to your friends, your family. You're going to listen to your professors who are paid and proud to doubt everything that you hold sacred. 
Are you going to listen to guys who rub shoulders with them for three years? Are they really credible? They're way more credible than you think. And from the Gospel of Mark, we have looked at Exhibit A, his astonishing power. It's not that Jesus just pulled off some miracles. Other people are credited with miracles. It's how he did them so easily. I mean, this irresistible power over disease, irresistible power over nature, over demons. Guys, if it happened exactly the way that Mark says it did, on the basis of eyewitnesses, it would have blown your mind. Today, we're going to laser in on his irresistible power over death itself. We're going to focus on an incredible little story at the end of Mark, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5. So if you have a Bible on your phone or tablet, find Mark, chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible on your phone or tablet, I'd recommend the U version. It's great and it's free. If you have one of those old-fashioned paper Bibles, we leave the lights up on in the corner so you can read them there. The verses will also be on screen. Mark chapter 5. I'm going to kick it off at verse 21. Here it goes. Remember, Mark is writing this stuff, but he's writing the story of Peter. These are Peter's recollections. Peter was an eyewitness. Peter was at this scene. Mark says, Jesus got into the boat again. They went to the other side of the lake. That's the lake of Galilee, the Sea of Galilee. One side's Gentile territory. That's where he had cast those demons out. And you've got the great bacon controversy. Now he's going back to Jewish territory. And it says this huge crowd gathers around. Because by this time, wherever Jesus goes, he's drawing this crowd. Everybody wants a piece of his power. Verse 22. A leader of the local synagogue whose name was Jairus arrived. And when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet and he pleaded fervently with him saying, my little daughter is dying. And we got to pause for just a moment. I'm going to tell you one of the mistakes we fall into when we read the Bible a lot. We read it clinically. We don't feel it. Let's just read the story. This guy said his daughter is dying. She's right on the edge. If your daughter was dying, what would it take to drag you away from her bedside to go search for some kind of help if it was right around the corner? How desperate would you have to be? Jairus says, my little girl, my little girl, please heal her. I mean, these verses drip emotion. Once you sense that emotion, you can step back and look at it more clinically, which I'm going to. This guy's a synagogue leader, which means he's a very religious man. He's probably a very powerful man in that town. The fact that Mark mentions his name is unusual. Most of the time in the miracle stories, they don't mention the name of the character. This is an eyewitness detail. Eyewitnesses remember extraneous little details like this. This Jairus fell at Jesus' feet, which is weird, because most of the religious leaders of that time didn't like Jesus. They weren't sure what to make of him. So either this Jairus is an oddball, or he's flat out desperate. I'd even go to Jesus if it gives me a chance with my kid. Verse 24. Jesus went with him. All the people followed, crowding around him, but... But there was a woman in the crowd who'd suffered for 12 years. 12 years she'd been sick. She'd suffered a great deal from many doctors. She'd, she, over the years, she'd spent everything she had to pay them trying to get better. She had actually gotten worse. She had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd, touched him, touched his robe, because she thought to herself, if I could just touch his robe, I might be healed. Now, this is weird, weirder than it looks. You've actually got a miracle story interrupting a miracle story. Doesn't happen often. 
Another one of those eyewitness marks. This, this Jesus was following Jairus when this woman who'd been sick for 12 years with a constant bleeding. Best we can tell, it's the kind of bleeding that ladies get, but this one won't stop and it's on steroids. Now you ladies know what it feels like to bleed for just a few days. What if it doesn't quit? What if there's something that's really wrong? First of all, you're probably going to kill somebody. But then, she's in pain. She's hurting. Going to be weak, anemic, tired. But those are the least of her problems. Because in that world, if you're bleeding, people can't touch you. And you can't touch them. You're unclean. <laughs> so if she's married, her husband's not supposed to touch her. And she's not supposed to touch him. If she had kids, she can't touch them. They can't touch her. No hugs, no kisses. Twelve years. Friends? Couldn't go to synagogue. She couldn't come to a place like this because she can't touch people. She is physically, she is socially, she is spiritually cut off. How would that be feel to you ladies to be cut off for 12 years? Been to every doctor she can afford. Instead of getting better, she's been getting worse. You guys have experienced that kind of thing. It's hard. So she sneaks up on Jesus. She's got to sneak up on him. She's not supposed to be out there in a crowd. She sneaks up on Jesus, probably defiling every single person she touches as she brushes by them to go try to teach Jesus. And then she touches him. This pathetic woman who defiles everything she touches intentionally touches Jesus because she's thinking to herself, maybe if I just touch him, I can be healed. I've tried everything else. Verse 29, Mark says, immediately, the bleeding stopped. And she could feel it somehow. I don't know what that means. I don't know how she felt it, but she knew something had happened. In other words, instead of Jesus becoming defiled by her touch, she became clean. Same kind of thing that happened when Jesus touched lepers. When Jesus touched the leper, he was supposed to be unclean. Instead, they became clean because Jesus is different. And then this part's weird. Mark says somehow Jesus realized that healing power had gone out of him. I don't know what that means. I have no clue what Jesus felt knowing that some power had gone out of him. But this touch was differently, different than the touch of every other person who had touched him. So he stops. And he turns around and he looks at the crowd and he says, who touched me? And his disciples are like, really? And you're in the center of this crowd and everybody's bustling around and you ask, who touches me? Jesus just keeps looking around to see who had done it. And then listen, you got to listen to this part carefully. It says, the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, not frightened necessarily because Jesus was about to expose her for what she had done. That's not what scared her. She had touched absolute power. She had felt something happen to her when she touched Jesus. What if it really happened the way that Mark and Peter says it did? terrified. This frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, she came and fell on her knees in front of Jesus and told him what she'd done. And you know how Jesus, what he said to her? I didn't give you permission to touch me. No, that wasn't his me too moment. This is, I'm just kidding. It's so cool. What Jesus says is amazing. He says, daughter. Now Jesus is young, probably around 30 or so maybe a little younger, late 20s. This lady had been sick for 12 years. She's probably at least his age, maybe older. And he looks and he says, daughter, little one. 
my daughter was young. I still call her that. She's my little one. My granddaughter, since she was that big, she's been my baby doll. Jesus looks at this woman and he says, little one, baby doll, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Go in peace. No kidding. Go in shalom. Go back home whole. Your brokenness has been mended. Your suffering is over. You're restored. It's a cool story. Although it raises several questions, doesn't it? I mean, why did Jesus have to stop her? Why did Jesus have to point her out? I mean, she could have just slipped away as clandestinely as she had slipped in, never been embarrassed, still would have been healed. Did Jesus point her out for her sake, for a blessing, for their sake, so they'd see what had happened, or for our sake? And, and once this got around, why don't, why don't people just mob Jesus from that point forward trying to touch him? Not just coming to him for his touch. Why don't everybody just try to touch Jesus? I mean, you would think that once the story of this got around that he would be the one who is it in a perpetual game of tag for the rest of his time on earth, right? <laughs> and yet we have no record of this happening again. You'd give it a shot, wouldn't you? Try to touch him. If just touching him with faith would heal you. So why didn't he let that kind of power ooze out of him all of the time? Is he really good? And then, what do you think Jairus is thinking when all this is going on? I mean, this man is desperate. His little girl is on the edge of dying. He's a powerful man. He's a religious man. He's a terrified man. And this guy, he goes to help, dallies. He stops, fixates on some woman who's been sick for a long time but is not on the edge of death. Minutes can count. And Jesus lingers for pity's sakes. If Jesus really cared about this woman, he could have come back for her. <laughs> Think Jairus had a weight problem? <laughs> That's the kind of weight problem I'm talking about, not this. He wanted something from Jesus now. He needed something from Jesus now. What do you do when you ask God? You beg God and you're desperate and it's like he makes you wait. You've been there. I suspect you'd be really, really, really ticked off if you were Jairus and what happened next really happened. Verse 35. While Jesus is still talking to this woman, the woman he just healed, messengers arrive from the home of Jairus. And they told him, it's too late. She's dead. While you've been sitting here, your daughter died. There's no use troubling the teacher. It's done. In the minutes that you were distracted, in the minutes that Jesus was distracted, your daughter died. What if it really happened that way? Eyewitness tells us it did. Would you be feeling pure pain? Would you be feeling fury at this healer who could have saved your kid? Would you have been feeling shame that you had left your daughter at the time of her greatest need and you weren't there with her when she died? And then Mark says, verse 36, Jesus overheard them and he says to Jairus, the weirdest thing, don't be afraid, have faith. Really? Don't be afraid, have faith. And Jairus has to be thinking, I told you, Jesus, she was dying. You got distracted. You were fixated on lesser things, and my daughter, my little one, my baby doll just died. 
And Jesus says, don't panic. It's okay. She's just dead. It's all right. She's just dead. <laughs> now, you make the call. Who had the bigger problem? This, this woman who had been ostracized and sick for 12 years, isolated physically, socially, spiritually, but she's not dying. We're going to learn in a couple of verses, this is a 12-year-old child. As long as this child has been alive, this woman's been sick. Or this child. 12 pretty good years, but now she's dead. Which girl needed Jesus' help the most? Tell you the truth, we tend to measure worse by its proximity to me. Or maybe let me change the question a little bit. Which would be easier for Jesus, to heal this woman who had been sick for 12 years or to raise up a dead child? Which of those is easier for God? Anyway, what Jesus did next is kind of weird. It's not the only time. He stops the crowd. He only lets Peter, James, and John come with him, kind of his inner circle. I guess it'd be too crowded otherwise. They go to the house of the synagogue leader, Jairus. Jesus saw a whole lot of commotion, weeping and wailing, because back then protocol was that as soon as someone died, people just gathered and they started crying, weeping. In fact, to make sure that they did it right, you even hired professional wailers for the death of your kid. They're already on hand. She'd been that close. They're cutting loose. Another one of those eyewitness details. Mark says Jesus went inside and he asked this question. That's an amazing question. Why the commotion? Why are you guys crying? She's only dead. Actually, it's not what he said. He said she's just taking a nap. Really? Can you imagine words any more inappropriate? Let me confess to you guys one of the worst things I ever did. Years and years ago, my brother had just moved to Kansas. This was before cell phones, back when you had to have a landline, right? And I didn't have Jim's new number, so I dug around to find a James Patterson in Kansas. How many of them could there be, right? Found a James Patterson, so I called Jim, and this lady answers, and I said, is Jim there? And she paused too long. And then she said very quietly, Jim died. A little while back. Now understand, my family's pretty weird. And I thought she was my sister-in-law making a macabre joke. So I said, he did not. I just talked to him two days ago. <laughs> and all I heard was this gasp on the end of the line. As I realized that I was not talking to Felicia, my sister-in-law. You know how stupid I felt? Jesus says, why are you guys making a fest? She's not dead. She's not dead. She's just napping. Really? And Jesus says that before he even sees the child? They've seen her. They know what death looks like. Could Jesus say anything more insensitive? It's no wonder that Jesus, that Mark says, some of the people in the crowd laughed at him. I don't think I'd have laughed at Jesus. I'd have told him to leave. And if he didn't do it, I'd have tried to escort him out. I've tried, but Jesus had this way about him. But I guess from his perspective, Jesus wasn't lying and he wasn't even exaggerating. Let's say, what if Jesus really was God? <laughs> do you think raising the dead is any harder for God than you waking a napping child? 
You think it is? Which is harder for God? Healing a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years or calling a child back who has just died? If Jesus really was who he said he was, what's tougher? Verse 40, Mark says, Jesus made them all leave, took the girl's father and mother and his three disciples, Peter, James, and John, into the room where the girl was lying. Remember, Mark is telling Peter's story. Peter's here. Peter's watching this go down. Can you imagine the mom? Mom is broken. I don't know whether she's still crying or beyond tears. In walks her husband, Jesus, three guys she doesn't know. Jesus walks up to her dead kid, takes her hand, and says, Talitha kum. Peter even remembers the Latin words Jesus spoke. It just stuck in his head. Literally, it means something like little girl, get up. But little girl is the wrong way to translate it in English because that sounds so impersonal. Hey, little girl. To them, it's way more tender. It's like Jesus is saying to this child, come on, sweetheart. Come here, honey. Little one, baby doll. Get up. Get up. And we're told that the girl who's 12 years old immediately stands up, walks around. Guys, what if it really happened that way? Mark says they were overwhelmed. They were amazed. No kidding. And then Mark says Jesus gave them strict orders not to tell anyone what had happened, like that's going to happen. And then Mark gives us another little detail, which is so cool. I love this. This is another one of those eyewitness marks. Jesus says, give her something to eat. I mean, she's been dead. She's probably hungry. And some of you moms are getting the wrong idea. I see what you moms give us snacks. You're thinking celery and carrot sticks, right? Maybe some zucchini rolls or kale bites. No. If your kid rises from the dead, don't even go to the Little Debbies. Go to Hostess, right? Ding-dongs, Twinkies, a side of Oreos. You order whatever pizza she wants most and you top it over with a whole batch of McDonald's French fries, right? What a sweet ending to this story. But why would Jesus tell them not to tell? Why would he do that? Unless Jesus didn't come to work these kinds of miracles. I mean, what if it really happened? Just the way that Mark or Peter, who was there, what if it really happened this way? What would you do with Jesus? Which of these two miracles is the greater? Healing a woman who'd been bleeding way too heavily for 12 years pain, the ostracism, or raising a 12-year-old child who had just died. And why would we rank his raising the dead as the greatest of his miracles? I always do that. Why in the world would I think that Jesus raising the dead or stilling a storm or casting out a demon? How is any of them harder than one of the others if he's really God? If he's God, raising the dead is no harder for him than it would be for you to raise a napping child. Here's the deal, guys. It's not just the way he raised the dead. We've got other resurrection stories in the Bible. They'd pray to God. They'd lay their bodies across that dead child. They'd beg God. Jesus didn't even crack his knuckles. The nonchalance with which he showed them his irresistible power is unbelievable. He just says, get up, child. She does. What if Jesus really did have that kind of power? Why didn't he raise every kid who died? Why didn't he still every storm, cast out every demon? Why didn't he heal every disease? Wasn't he God? Isn't God good? So why does he make us wait so often? 
Listen, this next piece takes a little bit to digest. If you want a little bit more, we're going to go back to this stuff. The reason why on Wednesday night, we've got some powerful stuff planned. Sometimes Jesus healed people just because he had this huge heart, the heart of God, compassion, just sheer compassion. He didn't come to heal our physical diseases, to sate our physical hunger, to rescue us from physical death yet, but sometimes he did it just because he cared. Sometimes Jesus worked miracles because he's dropping these breadcrumbs. You see, they knew their Messiah was supposed to be able to do this kind of stuff, so Jesus showed them he could. John the Baptist, later on, he's thrown into prison. He's struggling with his weight. He says, Jesus, if you're the Messiah, why are you holding back? Jesus sends this message. Tell John, blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, the good news is being preached to the poor. Listen, guys, Jesus didn't prove that he was the Messiah with his miracles, but he couldn't be the Messiah without that kind of power, so he showed him he had it. Here's something else the miracles do for us. They make us look with just awe at the cross. I mean, Jesus could whisper and winds obeyed. He could snap a finger and the demons would jump. He could wake the dead like he was waking a sleeping child. Do you really think that they overpowered Jesus when they put him on a cross? Do you think he had to go? Do you think they forced him to the cross? You can't force God to do anything. He chose it for us. There's another thing the miracles do for us. If Jesus really did this stuff, if it really happened the way these eyewitnesses said it did, then how in the world can some of us say we believe in him but yet do life as if he doesn't matter or even as if he doesn't exist? You can't look the real Jesus in the eye and blow him off. Either bend your knees or run away as fast as you can. But don't play games. And here's one more thing about these miracles, and this is huge. Jesus didn't come to heal all the sick yet, to calm every storm yet, to throw out every demon or to eradicate death yet. But he came to show us what's coming. What's coming. He's got that kind of power. And the next time he comes, he's going to change his focus. Sickness and disease will no longer have power over us. Nature will no longer have the power to terrorize us. Not even death. Not even death will threaten us again. It's coming. Because the next time Jesus comes back, he's not going to hold back on these things. Because by then, when we'll have made our choice concerning him. But until then, we wait. We wait, and that's cool, because we know how it's going to end. For now, we pray for miracles. And sometimes he does them. Usually he doesn't. Yet, at least the kind we're praying for. And that's okay. Because we know how it's going to end. He holds back for a time. Because the more he intervenes right now, the less freedom that we have to make a choice for him. So we live in the gap. We live in the wait. We know his power because we've seen his power. We know how it's going to end because he's told us how it's going to end. And that gives us a profound boldness, a profound faithfulness. He's a good God. He's a powerful God. He's a wise God. So we wait. Isn't that cool? Would you pray with me? Father, the power that you showed us in Christ just blows our mind, and for that we are grateful. 
for the many times that we just do life as if he doesn't exist, we ask your forgiveness. We pray that you'll allow us to see the real Jesus, feel his power, to bend our knees as we ought. We love you dearly. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.